Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. But it's great to see everybody here. What a wonderful uh, series we are in the midst of. Things that truly matter. And we just thank you for your love for the Lord and His Word to be able to come here tonight. And I hope that you're doing well and you had a great Wednesday. If you didn't, you'll have a great Wednesday night because we have David Powell with us and his wife, Kathy. Uh, They have been married 43 years David uh, was a pulpit minister there at North Jackson for 27 years, and he's been teaching at Freed Harbin for 29 years. As a matter of fact, he'll drive home tonight and teach a couple of classes tomorrow. So uh, we ask uh, that all of us uh, pray for them on their journey back home. They have three beautiful grand—aren't grandkids great? Uh, Three beautiful grandchildren, one boy and two girls— David is a wonderful gospel preacher. I met him back, I think, in 99 or 2000 or something. And uh, of all places, I met him in Boonville, Missouri. And uh, he would bring a group up from North Jackson, and they would do the vacation Bible school. And uh, I got to know him and just love him so much and his energy. And uh, he just helped the work there so much, and we just love him and uh, so very thankful. He's going to be talking to us tonight on the subject of Humility, humility. We look forward to his lesson. Good evening. I want us to begin our study of God's word tonight in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, and we'll begin looking and studying at verse 3. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 3. I've got to tell you, we traveled all this way from Henderson, Tennessee, and uh, we didn't even get a song we, uh, we didn't even get to hear you sing. I know you sing beautifully, and uh, we'll look forward to that later. But uh, it's, uh, it's great to be here. It really is. Um, song not being uh, here uh, just yet, uh, a hymn uh, being sung, not yet, and uh, not getting to hear how beautifully you sing. That aside, it is wonderful to be here. It really is. And uh, Kathy and I are honored uh, to be with you tonight and We appreciate this congregation so very much, and I love Paul Owen, as I know you do, and I've enjoyed working with him in the past, and he's been a pleasure to work with in coming here uh, this evening. And we're saddened uh, by the passing of Brother Colley. We loved him very much. Uh, We're able to work with him in in several projects in Memphis, and so very thankful for his uh, many years of service, and uh, we love Glenn and Cindy and uh, hate that uh, they can't be with us tonight, Uh, but uh, we're uh, mindful of them in our prayers and uh, very thankful for their great work in the kingdom as well. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I suppose in the world in which we live, everyone would like to enjoy a measure, at least a measure of happiness. But would you believe me tonight if I told you that the path, the surest path to true happiness in this world was humility? Would you believe me? Better yet, would we believe the Lord? Let's talk about it. G.K. Chesterton was a British theologian, philosopher, and author. You see his dates on the screen before you. He was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis. He was known as the Prince of Paradox. And on the screen is one of those many paradoxes that he gave many years ago. Like C.S. Lewis, when G.K. Chesterton spoke, people listened. When he wrote something, they read it. He was usually quite insightful, and this is no different. What he had to say about the Sermon on the Mount was simply this. On the first reading of the Sermon on the Mount, you feel it turns everything upside down. But the second time you read it, you discover that it turns everything right side up. The first time you read it, you feel that it is impossible. But the second time, you feel that nothing else is possible. Well, that's true, isn't it? Especially when it comes to the Beatitudes. The word blessed has been translated in a number of different ways. But perhaps most have settled on the word happy. But truly, no one is happy, generally happy in this world without being blessed by God. And of all people, we are truly blessed. Therefore, we ought to be happy people. But happiness is a choice, isn't it? Abraham Lincoln was once asked on one occasion if he was happy. The 16th president of the United States replied, well, I'm about as happy as I choose to be. And so it is, if we choose to follow Jesus we'll find happiness, true happiness. And yet it doesn't always seem to be the most logical path in which to take. For example, when you think about these Beatitudes that we just read, I mean, who really wants to be poor, sad, meek, hungry, merciful, or persecuted? No one. I think everybody in this world, or at least it seems like everyone in this world, wants to be rich, Proud, self-reliant, independent, trouble-free, and unforgiving. People are interested in a prosperity gospel, but the Sermon on the Mount is just the opposite of that. And so truly, if we wish to follow Jesus, it will not be the easiest path in the world to follow or or live. However, the blessings are tremendous, and among them, the blessing of happiness And so tonight, as we think about humility, I want us to think about it in the context of what Jesus says will bring us happiness in this life. But the first step is humility, and maybe the first step in the Christian life, period, is humility. So think with me in terms of these Beatitudes as we try to define humility. It's something you recognize when you see it, but trying to define it isn't always easy. So let's try to do it this way in terms of the attitudes. Humility, first of all, 
is poverty of spirit. Jesus said, blessed are the pure, or the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the translation of this verse is varied, but one translation that I read that stuck with me simply states, blessed are those who feel their spiritual need. And so when you think of the world and how the world looks at happiness, no one looks at happiness as being poor or in poverty. We rather look at the happiest people in the world as self-satisfied. But Jesus recommended in the Christian life a feeling of inadequacy. And that inadequacy is because of sin. So our poverty of spirit is a result of our sin and the sinful fallen world in which we live. When you look at the Greek word for poverty here, it literally means to beg. It literally means bankrupt. So without Jesus, we are truly poor. Without Jesus in our lives, we're nothing more than beggars. Without Jesus in our lives, we are totally spiritually bankrupt. But with Christ, we can find the greatest riches in the world, and those are the spiritual riches that come through him. When you think about poverty of spirit, do you think about the Apostle Paul? It was Paul in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 who described himself as the chief of sinners. That's that poverty of spirit that Jesus was after. But you know, I got to thinking if it were Peter doing the talking, Peter would probably also say he was the chief of sinners. So when you go back to Luke chapter 5 verse 8, when Jesus and Peter first meet, when Peter has fished all night and hasn't caught anything, And Jesus, the carpenter, tells Peter, the fisherman, what to do to cast his nets on the other side. And he catches so many fish, his boat begins to sink, his nets begin to break. And Peter's response to Jesus was, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. So you see Peter feeling his spiritual inadequacy in the presence of that which was perfect, Jesus Christ, his Savior. I think of the Old Testament I think of Isaiah and Isaiah 6 verse 5. When Isaiah was in the temple, he was in the presence of God. And you remember what he said in verse 5. Woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the land of an unclean people. So Isaiah felt his inadequacy in the presence of God, as we should all. And then I think, too, of the story that Jesus told in Luke 18, verses 9 through 13. 14 actually, of the Pharisee and the publican or the tax collector. The two men went up into the temple to pray. And you remember the Pharisee prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not an extortioner or a reviler or a murderer or as other men are or even as this publican. I fast twice twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. But you remember the tax collector stood afar off and prayed with himself. He would not even look up to heaven as he prayed, but he beat upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Sometimes that's the only prayer that you can pray, is God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So this is what Jesus means by realizing just how poor we are without him. There's a reason why this is the first beatitude. It's like the thumb on your finger. It sets the stage for, or in your hand, rather. It sets the stage for everything else. So all the other Beatitudes are connected to this one fundamental Beatitude. How much do I need Jesus? How much do I need him in my life? 
And how much do I realize that without him, I am nothing. Muhammad Ali, when he was at the height of his boxing career, boarded a flight. And as he sat down, the stewardess came to him and said, Sir, would you please buckle your seatbelt? And Muhammad Ali, as cocky as he was, shot back, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which she very politely stated without missing a beat, yes, and Superman don't need a plane either. Buckle your seatbelt, sir. And he buckled his seatbelt. Muhammad Ali was full of pride. And maybe he could back that up. I I don't know. It depends on the person you talk to, I guess. But the one thing that's most important to remember is that you can't strut your way into the kingdom. We humbly crawl into the kingdom on the knees of prayer, on the knees of penance, and on the knees of needing Jesus to save us. It wasn't by accident, I don't think, that Dante in his inferno put as the greatest of the deadly sins, the number one sin of the seven deadly sins, pride. You know where he got that? He got that from the Bible. Because in Proverbs 6 verse 17, one of the seven things God hates, the top of the list, is pride. And this is what destroyed the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, 17. They were proud. They said to God, we don't need anything. Well, we do need everything from him, and chiefly we need his son, our Savior. Remember the Bible says in James 4, verse 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is being aware of one's poverty of spirit. Number two, notice that humility is mourning. Literally, happy are the unhappy. Happy are those who are sad. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Because people today in the world look at happiness as grabbing all the pleasure you can possibly get. In other words, it isn't about being poor, it's about being rich, and it's about being happy at any cost. Jesus recommended something totally different. Jesus recommended caring. We oftentimes associate mourning with bereavement, and well, we should. But in the Bible, mourning wasn't always associated with bereavement. For example, in Luke 19, verses 41 through 44, when Jesus approached Jerusalem for the very last time, he wept. He was sad. He mourned because they had had the opportunity to receive him, to be saved by him. But that wasn't going to happen. They weren't going to receive him. They were going to crucify him. And ultimately, because of that, their city would be destroyed. He mourned over the sins of that city and the people in that city who could be eternally lost if they didn't repent and turn to Jesus for their salvation. But Jesus could mourn too at the death of a good friend, like in John eleven thirty five, when he wept for Lazarus. So when Jesus talks about humility as mourning, humility is caring about oneself in the sense that Sin is so devastating, separates us from God and can destroy our souls. But it's also caring about the pain of others. And it is our own pain 
that matures us. It's sharing the pain of our neighbors that makes us truly Christian. But in that, we find the greatest of happiness, the greatest of contentment. We've read about the hurricane in Florida and in South Carolina. I have students in my classes who have family in Florida. They were scared to death as the hurricane approached. It looked like it was going to hit Tampa or north of Tampa. It then went south, hit Fort Walton, as you're well aware of that. But students were concerned about their parents and about their friends. And as we have seen on the news, over 100 people have died and they're still trying to find other people. And there are people in Florida, in that area of Florida, and maybe South Carolina too, who've lost everything, who've lost their homes, all their belongings, their businesses, everything they own. They have nothing now. That strikes within us a deep sorrow, doesn't it? Don't we care? The world would say, you take care of yourself. You don't worry about others. You care about yourself. You don't care about others. Jesus said, care about others and care about the fact that sin can cause us to be lost if we don't change, if we don't come back around and turn to Jesus for forgiveness. So humility is poverty of spirit. Humility is mourning. We don't think of happiness as mourning, but humility is all about caring and mourning, caring for others and caring about my relationship with God. Number three, humility is meekness. Again, the idea is happy are those who are lowly in spirit. But when I say the word meekness, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? We think about weakness, don't we? We think about timidity. We think about being a doormat. And I guess that's the way the world looks at Christianity's Christianity. And maybe that's the way we sometimes think that humility is defined. We just simply are weak. We just simply allow people to walk over us or walk around us. But that's not what the Lord is saying here. What he is basically saying is happy are the people who care for one day they will be cared for. The idea is, in other words, the world looks at happiness today as being nice guys finish last and win at all costs and get as much as you yourself can get as you pass through this life. But this isn't the happiness that Christ provides. The happiness he provides comes from someone who has discipline in his life, someone who is under control, not his own control, but under the control of God himself. Two of the strongest men that we read about in the entire Bible were described as meek. In Numbers 12, verse 3, Moses, and in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus himself. Happy are those who are lowly in spirit, really. Yes, Moses, you'll remember, and Jesus too, could be stirred to righteous indignation. They could be stirred to anger. The one thing that got Moses in trouble that cost him the promised land, entering the promised land at least, the land of Canaan, was he struck the rock instead of speaking to it. Jesus drove out the money changers in the temple. Jesus' anger could flare in righteous indignation but they're described as meek. There was nothing weak about them, but the truth is they were under the control of God. If we replace the word meekness with the word humility, blessed are the humble, 
we wouldn't have a difficulty with this verse at all, would we? So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You think about someone in this life who is disciplined in living the Christian life. It's the best life that you can live. After all, you have rules like the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Think about living by those simple rules. Whether we believe in God or not, whether we believe in Jesus or not, whether we believe in the church or not, just think about following those fundamental rules. You would still have the best life you could ever live in this world. And what we can inherit as a result of being under God's leadership or control is not only eternal life, but everything of God's good blessings this earth can provide. You remember Jesus in John 13, 13 through 15, washed his disciples' feet. It's one of the greatest examples of humility written in the entire Bible. I want to know who washed the feet of Jesus. Which one of his disciples stepped up and washed his feet? As far as the tax goes, no one did. Jesus said to them, you call me master and Lord. And you say, well, for I am your Lord and for I am your master and Lord. But if I, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, so you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set an example before you that you should do as I have commanded you. And so the thought is, as Jesus humbly served others, we serve others too. That's the idea of meekness. Doing those jobs no one else would do because it's what God asks us to do. Number four, humility is hunger. And again, if you think about it like this, happy are the empty, happy are the hungry and thirsty. Is that what Jesus is saying? The world would scoff at that because the world thinks the person happiest who is full, who's self-satisfied, who has everything that this world has to offer that's rightfully his. We love the status quo. We don't like things to be uneven as they seem to be here. Jesus used two of the most basic fundamental instincts of the human being, hunger and thirst. And he pointed then us to righteousness, goodness, holiness, craving what is right and craving more than anything else to be more like God. It's people who hunger and thirst after God, after his righteousness, who are truly filled. The opposite of that is people who do not have God and don't hunger or thirst to know him or know more about him are empty. And you've met a lot of empty people in your life. So have I. When Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This is what Jesus was talking about. It's a preview of that. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Does it not mean to seek first the church? Well, what's the church? It's not the church people, you, me, other Christians in the world. It is in so seeking them before ourselves that we meet their needs, but they in turn will meet ours when those needs are necessary. And so we're happy Content, peace at peace. When you think about the idea of our food, our clothing, and our shelter, these are the things that truly bring us happiness. These are the things, of course, 
that money can't buy, God provides, and in that we find our happiness. Humility is hunger. Humility is meekness. Humility is mourning, the capacity to be sad, to care. Humility is poverty of spirit. And number five, humility is mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Happiness is simply being kind. I read the New American Standard Version just a moment ago, and the word there is gentle. Happy are those people who are gentle. But that's not the way the world sees happiness. The world sees this life as a rat race, a dog-eat-dog mentality, a get-even-at-all-cost drive about us. Have you ever noticed how people are so angry these days? How many people are so angry on the roads? We, we have a name for it, road rage. But, but, have, but have you seen that? Have you seen how people seem to be so ruthless? Well, again, the world has always been like this. But it just seems like it's been exacerbated lately for, for whatever reason. And, and I guess there are a number of variables for that. But it's frightening, isn't it? It's scary. You, you don't always feel safe on the road. We used to feel safe dropping our children off at school. And now we don't always feel that way. We felt good about dropping our children off at the mall or at a theater to enjoy their friends. And, and now we don't feel that good about that. We never used to lock our doors, and now we bolt them, sometimes triple locking them. It's just the world in which we live. But you see, that's the mentality of the world. But Jesus pleaded for mercy. Basically, happy are those who care, for they will one day find themselves cared for. So if I'm merciful, there'll be a day when I'll need someone to be merciful toward me. I love the example of Jesus. Jesus said in Mark 10, verse 45, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus didn't come to be a king. He was. He came to serve. And in that was King of Kings and Lord of Lords. J.M. Trevelyan, a British author, wrote the book, The Life of Jacob Bright. You may have read that. You may have had to read that in graduate studies. But Jacob Bright was a British preacher. And Trevelyan tells a story of Jacob Bright returning home one day when he encountered a neighbor whose horse had suffered an accident. The wagon had fallen over and the horse's leg was broken and the man had to put the animal down. He had to kill the animal. And neighbors were gathered around expressing sympathy upon the loss, not just of the animal, but of the man's livelihood. But Bright was irritated by the shallowness of the sympathy of those people. And he suggested, I'm sorry, five dollars worth. How sorry are you? And that began a collection. Everyone chipped in a little here and a little there to help the man replace his animal, restoring his livelihood. And regaining his dignity. That's what Jesus means by blessed are the merciful. It isn't just being concerned. It isn't just caring. It's actually doing something about it. Do you remember when Jesus talked about the scene of the judgment in Matthew 25 verse 40? And Jesus talked about he was hungry and they fed him. He was thirsty and they gave him drink. Um, He was destitute. Um, He had no home and they housed him, they, they clothed him, they also visited him when he was sick, and they also visited him when he was in prison. And their response was, well, Lord, when did we ever do these things for you? 
And Jesus then responded by saying to them in verse 40, inasmuch as you did it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. That's mercy. And judgment here is pictured not based upon what we believe, but what we practice, how we live, how merciful have we been. So it's one thing to be sorry for someone. It's another thing to reach out and lift the person up. That's what Christianity does. And that's the best kind of life. That's the happiest life anyone will ever know. You know, the other thing that amazes me, we read those words and we think, well, that's the least of them over there. You know who is the least of them? We are. I am. And the day may come when I'm hungry and you'll feed me. I'm thirsty and you'll give me something to drink. I'll need a place to live and you'll provide shelter. I'll need clothes. You'll clothe me. I'll need to be visited in a hospital and there you'll be. And I may be in prison, not because I've done something wrong, but because I dared to preach the gospel and you'll be there to visit me as many people did the Apostle Paul. And how many times did he end his letters thanking each one of them for remembering him in his chains? Humility is mercy. Six, humility is purity of heart. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And so as the world looks at it, this person is pure if he plays the part outwardly, but Jesus places an emphasis on the inward. We're not just talking about being religious, which is outward. We're talking about being a Christian, which is inward. And that's the source, is it not, of all our actions? Matthew 15, 17 through 20. As someone once said, life is basically an inside job. You get it right on the inside, the rest will take care of itself. And so it is, isn't it? The character of a Christian is what's in his heart. And the character of a Christian is how she chooses to live her life. How she chooses to participate in the work of the Lord. And purity of heart is one of those marks of character that defines humility. There's an old Latin proverb that states, Unless the vessel is clean, whatever you pour into it turns sour. If the heart isn't right with God. Nothing else will be right either. Someone wants to find purity of heart as to will one thing in your life. That was the Apostle Paul. Paul said in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, not that I've apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. He would say earlier, all things that I count as gain, I have now concluded to be rubbish, garbage, compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Purity of heart is to will one thing, and that one thing is to see God. If you think about life, and you think about trying to do what's right, you try to think about living the right way and treating other people the right way, See them as the face of God. See them as if you're seeing God and serving God and not just serving someone else. In Esther, in the great, beautiful book of Esther, in Esther 1.14, Hesurius, or Xerxes, the Persian king, had seven princes of Persia and Media who were his advisors. And in Esther 1.14, the Bible says, their closest to him 
was emphasized in the text as they themselves declared, saw the king's face. Seeing God has always been the ultimate hope of each Christian. We want to go to heaven more than anything else. But to get to heaven, we need to be seeing God now in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in everything about us. So humility is poverty of spirit. Humility is mourning. Humility is meekness. Humility is hunger, thirst. Humility is mercy. Humility is pure of heart. And seventh, humility is service. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. No, not the peaceful, not the peace talkers, but the peacemakers. Those who are willing to be invested in the ministry of reconciliation, according to Galatians, or rather 2 Corinthians 5, 18. That should be 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Disregard Galatians, not in the Bible, but on that screen. And it's not Galatians 6, 18. It's a scribble error. We got along fine without PowerPoint, didn't we, before PowerPoint came along? See, if I, if I didn't have PowerPoint, I could have skipped right through that. But now my errors are exposed. I'm not perfect. I don't know any preacher who is or any person who is, literally. But humility is service. It's getting engaged in the ministry of reconciliation, as Paul described it there in 2 Corinthians 5. It's about reconciling ourselves to God, but also helping others to be reconciled to God. So it's about the greatest work in the world, isn't it? Leading people to Jesus. When you think about peacemaking and we're called the children of God, it's because this is the work of God. This draws us closer to God to bring an end to the divisions in our world, the divisions that so plague us. You know, when Jesus was born in Luke 2, 14, the angels praised God saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill toward men. When Jesus was born, he came into the world to live a world or life or ministry of reconciliation. Quickly as I close. Humility is suffering. Happy are those who are persecuted. That's so strange. That's so different. That's so upside down, isn't it? The world cries to avoid discomfort at all costs. Have you noticed how many commercials there are about this medicine or that medicine? It'll cure this ache. It'll cure that disease. On and on the advertisements go about the magic of a pill or the magic of a powder or the magic of a formula. The real secret to life is to stand for Jesus, to stand up for him And Jesus said, you will be uncomfortable when that happens. No time has that ever been truer, perhaps, than today. But Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. When you think about what comes of those who are willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus All you have to do is read verses 11 and 12 that amplify that final beatitude in verse 10. When he talks about in verse 12, for example, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. That's number one. But number two, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Look at the company we keep. 
the prophets of God were also persecuted because they dared to stand. Jesus left these words with the disciples, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. There's not just this world to think about, there's the world to come. And so humility isn't about doing nothing. Humility is daring to do something, even if the world doesn't approve. Humility isn't thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of self less. It isn't about thinking too highly of yourself or thinking too lowly of yourself. It's simply about not thinking about yourself first, but thinking about God first, thinking about the needs of others and trying to help them. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven of things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's no greater example of humility than our Lord himself. And to be a Christian is to be like Jesus. And to be like Jesus is to know what really matters, what truly matters, humility. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.